Welcome on, bienvenue, and welcome to the United Nations of Horror. I'm Mark, and today I'm joined by... Becky. And Lucard Dragomir. Okay, so on this episode, we are talking about Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. Mm, now, this is quite a famous book, I think. I think this is a famous book. It's certainly in the zeitgeist at the minute because of the TV series that's been on Netflix. But we thought we'd talk about the uh, the movies based off the book. Uh, interesting, interesting pair of movies. Uh, quite, and in many ways, similar to, you know, we did the... the um, house on Haunted Hill, didn't we? Which I think was riffing on the Haunted Hill house. Um, uh, that had its first version and a sort of late 90s version too. So in many ways, similar, right? Very yes. similar, yeah. I definitely got those parallels watching these two films. You know, <laughs> one from the 60s, one from, I believe it was 99 with this. And it was very similar with the uh, the other film as well. Right, just uh, give us a little bit of a grounding before we get into the films. Uh, have either of you read The Haunted of Hill House? I have not, no. I have, yes. Yeah, I've read it too. It's quite the book, isn't it, Becky? It really is. It's a fantastic graphic horror, and I'm a big fan of Shirley Jackson's work overall, but this is by far my favourite, and I think it's right up there for a lot of people in terms of the the ultimate haunted house story. It's a, it's an excellent uh, read. Uh, Stephen King brings it up quite a bit in his Dance Macabre, uh, and I think the film too as well. But uh, he he goes into quite some detail about the book and explains why it's you know the nature of it and stuff like that. It's got my it's certainly got my my favourite opening paragraph of any book. It's such a great opening paragraph, uh, and it uses that like uh, Taylor Two Cities technique of using the same opening paragraph as the closing paragraph as well and it kind of works in the sort of gives it a circularity but it is a good read and Shirley Jackson yeah it's a great writer I'm I'm not so much a fan of her shorts I mean the lottery is a classic uh, and I like some of her shorts but not all of them but I, I have to recommend another book of hers which is We Have Always Lived in the Castle it is rather wonderful as well That that's a good read anyway oh okay what about the TV series Lucard did you watch the TV the, the Netflix series I haven't yet. It is on my list. Uh, I have seen the trailer, and I mean, it looks mm-hmm. really, really good. So I'm after watching these two films. I would have to say that, yeah, that TV series has now moved to the top of my list, and I'll yeah. probably be watching that next week. It's a good one. It's a good. One. Back here, have you seen it? Yeah, I bawled my eyes out. Maybe once the cod seen it, we can come back to it. I don't. I really don't want to say too much about it either, other than it was very good, and I'd recommend it. I've heard a lot of people say, "Oh man, it was really boring." Uh, but I don't agree with that at all. I think it was a really well put together series. I really like Mike Flanagan's work anyway. You know, I like um, Gerald's Game as well, which was one of his. Yeah. Uh, and I, I thought it was a wonderful sort of gothic thing. And it was interesting watching, certainly the first film, how many references there were uh, in the first film and the TV series. Kind of interesting. Understandably, though. Understandably. Right. Okay. Let's let's uh, proceed on to the first movie. First one. Now, I believe the novel was written in nine or public first published in 1959. Uh, and the first film that came out of it came out in 1963. So only four years trailing it. Interestingly, this was a British production. Uh, yeah, that's what really they, surprised they, me. They tried to make it look American, didn't they? And sound American, but it was uh, it was a uh, British production, uh, directed by Robert Wise, who's got real chops. Robert Wise, uh, in terms of horror, 
Curse of the Cat People was his first movie. Now, a lot that's a bit of a Marmite film for some people, but I think it's a great sequel, actually. Completely different kind of story, but it's a really good sequel, um, in my opinion. Um, but also, it's famous for The Day the Earth Stood Still, you know, that sci- which is a sci-fi classic. But also stuff like West Side Story. He, this man could do lots of different things. West Side Story, Sound of Music, Star Trek The Motion Picture was one of his. So, man, wow. this guy has got a broad range. You know, he's he's like an anti-alter. You, you don't know it's a Robert Wise film, but he's very effective uh, in putting together films, So uh, as he was with this one, right? You know, this is a great horror film. Absolutely. That's a really good way of putting it, actually, as an anti-alter, I think. It's a really good yeah. description. He, he just gets on with it. He, he styles his technique to suit the material, which I think is uh, very, very admirable. Actually, I don't mind all tours when they deliver, but uh, I like the idea of the, there's people out there that can actually style the material professionally and, you know, make it suit. Um, anyway, it stars Julie Harris. Now, Julie Harris, she's not been in that much. Bizarrely, I, I came across her recently and I was like really shocked uh, when I watched um, the Dark Half, the movie version of the Stephen King's The Dark Half. It was like right in the middle of it. It's like, that's Julie Harris. And that was made in the 90s, <laughs> you know, 30 years after this film. But it was like, I was really quite shocked to see her. Uh, also, Claire Bloom, uh, Richard Johnson and Russ Tamblin. Russ Tamblin was also in West Side Story. Um, you know, it was kind of interesting to see Russ Tamblin. So uh, this was uh, adapted. Apparently, the screenwriter, when he read the book, thought it was all about sort of psychological issues, not about supernatural at all. But then he had a word with Shirley Jackson, who set him straight. <laughs> so it was interesting. Apparently, his early drafts were much more about emphasising sort of nervous breakdown or sort of mental disorder than supernatural. I think that it still very much treads that line, though, yeah. and um, really has a foot in both camps. And I know that Shirley Jackson was really interested in uh, Victorian spiritualism and that it was more so the characters and the people who were conducting these, you know, seances and psychical research. And that really speaks to the film. I think that the screenwriter really captured that the way that you've got this group of people all with their uh, particular motives and such. Uh, and it just works so well the way that even though that it's such a short amount of time that we spend with them, you really get an idea of what they want and how their characters seem to clash at times. It's a really nice piece of characterization, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. It's also films that deal with um, haunted houses being investigated are a little subgenre of their own right, aren't they? Because a lot of haunted house films don't have that, or they come in later in the story. But this kind of starts with that, doesn't it? Um, yes, it does. Another famous one that does the it, it, it does the same sort of structure is probably Legend of Hell House. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I love it's that. The film. Other, yeah, so do I. We'll come on to other Holiday House films a bit later, actually. But yes, uh, so it's basically they're there they're to investigate. Um, Julie Harris gives a really interesting performance, I thought. Um, she's she's very nervy. Apparently, she was suffering some depression and other sort of issues during the making of the film. Yeah, uh, and it you kind of get it in in her performance. It's very authentic feeling. To me. I agree. You know, as someone who has had issues with 
depression and you know anxiety you really feel that coming through and again it may have just been that she was a great actress and she was able to convey that or you know maybe it was because she was really going through those things yeah it's kind of interesting you don't see these people apart from russ tamper you don't really see the any of the characters in this film in many other mainstream well-known films they are you know richard johnson did appear in a lot of other films but they were like british b movies and smaller productions and stuff like that and claire boom i think went on to tv work uh, as well um but i mean uh it's, it's kind of fairly well put together well it opens up it kind of opens up fairly early in the film we kind of see exterior shots what do you think of the place oh man just gorgeous big place now I'm curious, like, did they? I guess they shot this in England too, right? The exteriors and everything. The exteriors were a pl- shot for a place called Ettington Park, Warwickshire, which is now a hotel. And I looked up and thought, man, I'm going to have to stay there. And uh, then I showed oh. my wife, and, well, I showed my wife, and she said, "We've stayed there already. What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> so I have stayed awesome. there. I have stayed there, and I was like, oh, man, I remember that, because I remember walking around the grounds on a Sunday morning with a light fog and duck, a duck pond and looking at this impressive building. But I didn't realise it was heading to... You know, I didn't remember it was heading but But, yeah, I've stayed there already. So I've stayed in Hill House. How about that? That is so wow. cool. So it's your turn next, Becky. <laughs> Warwickshire, right? Warwickshire. So it's only a few hundred miles for you, so that's fine. <laughs> uh, the internals were studio. I'm yeah, almost certain that they were studio. Um, I haven't got the details in front of me right now, but I, they were in a British studio. Um, MGM, I think it was. Yeah, there was some a few MGM productions, which was sort of Anglo-American productions. Um, so, yeah. Okay, let's uh, let's so they get into the house and then what things did you particularly like about it, Becky? Well, just going back to the beginning, I wanted to ask you both: Can you think of a more atmospheric credit scene? Because we just have, I think it's a static shot, isn't it, of the exterior uh, silhouette in silhouette yeah. as well. Exactly. Yeah. And can you think of a more you know atmospheric? chilling opening because for me it just sets the tone and i'm absolutely there it doesn't have for example uh you know you mentioned the house on haunted hill and the way that's slightly a bit playful with vincent price's head yeah and that monologue and such yeah exactly like it just chills me every time when i put this on and so many people seem to say that this is the scariest film they watched growing up and you know they they do kind of stick to that so i really do love the opening and I think I'd have to also say that I love the performance from Julie Harris. Julie I think she, the neurosis there is, it's a claustrophobic performance. When I watch it, it makes me feel very anxious. And yeah, I think too. that, yeah, exactly. So it really is phenomenal. And it's, it's got an edge to it. It reminded me a bit of Heath Ledger's Joker, actually. Uh, not in the way, not in the character, but in the way it felt edgy and kind of you completely authentic authentic yeah she was really good 100 percent, and that's she conveys everything in very limited dialogue that desperate situation with her mother and the way that her sister and her sister's family have treated her and the scene in the car where she's talking to herself i absolutely love and very much reminded me of uh, psycho when marion crane is driving along 
And yeah. I thought it synced really well because in Psycho, she's feeling guilty about what's happened and, you know, thinking about that. Whereas here, Julie Harris's character is very much focused on the future and, you know, what she's going to do now. She's technically free, but she also has absolutely nowhere to go. I mean, we talk about claustrophobia. She lives in her sister's living room, which is, oh, must be awful. I really do feel for her. Yeah, she's... um so you know she's basically self-institutionalized isn't she and it's quite impressive that she's taken the choice to leave and and sort of go there do this thing as a sort of way of sort of breaking out um so yeah i have to say the what the the voiceover work um worked for me quite a lot of the time but there were quite a few times where it was like man this bit really doesn't need voiceover you know we can see what's going on it it felt a bit don't tell us show us well, in see, places I never, not, not in everything i didn't feel that and coming back to your point about robert wise as an anti-auteur i think that obviously this particular the car scene but other shots really did seem to take something from psycho which was 1960 and also i thought that the shots themselves were very i would class them as wellian well wellsian like austin wells you know the camera work seemed to be very very similar in terms of citizen king but of course robert wise was the editor Yes, that's right. He was, wasn't he? Yes, I'd forgotten that. Yeah. So yeah, now you said it, it does. It did did look a bit like um. Oh, what what was? Oh, I've forgotten what Citizens Kane's house was called now. Oh, um, um, oh. Shangri La or something like oh. that, wasn't it? It's going to do my head. Yeah, <laughs> also, the house kind of talking of Psycho reminded me of the house in in Psycho. You know, in terms of being an iconic looking silhouetted house sort of gothic though that was slightly more modern um xanadu sorry xanadu was the name of the the place (laughs) that was obviously way bigger (laughs) you know now that we have to use for this episode no no olivia newton johns (laughs) (laughs) i like the fact it caught the atmosphere of the book quite a bit talking of strange angles they i mean it's a little more on the nose and explicit in the script you know he talks about the the doors are hung a certain way so that you'll find they'll close themselves and things like that whereas in the book there's quite beautiful um sort of words that sort of say you know the angles of hill house don't quite meet in in proper symmetry so they feel a strain on the mind which it also feels a bit like shirley jackson being a bit lovecraftian in the way she used words, uh, but better, better than Lovecraft. She's a, she's is a better. I, I love Lovecraft, but Shirley Jackson is a better writer than Lovecraft. In my opinion. Yeah. Um, I know I read was, so much Shirley Jackson in school, but you know it, it definitely wasn't this. So I'm trying to figure out what that was. But probably I remember, the lottery. Probably the lottery. Yeah, that sounds right. But I, I remember thinking, man, like this is a really good book when I was in, I guess, middle or high school, because obviously I hadn't read a ton of books. But back then, I was just like, wow, this is this is how writing should be done, you know? Yeah, she's, uh, she reminds me a bit of Hemingway, but more flowery, but in a great way. That's how I kind of think of Shirley Jackson. Yeah. She's a wordsmith for sure. Mm. Um, okay. So we we get in the house. Um, I'm trying to remember, because I've watched the two films sort of back to back, I'm trying to remember the Dudleys now in this film. Uh, uh, I think, they, I think uh, the husband was at the, the gate when she arrives. Ah, yes, I wanted to talk about this chap. Yeah. Now, he, <laughs> he was putting a terrible American accent on. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of trying she to knows, figure out, as, as an American, I was like, okay, is he British or is he Scottish? He's, Brit- he's British. I don't know. He might be Scottish, but he certainly talks in an English accent when he... I've heard him talk. Uh, he is the bad guy in a great little film called Horror Hotel or sometimes City of the Dead. He's like the lead pilgrim bad guy. It's got a very similar vibe to Psycho, in fact. It's like Psycho meets Lovecraft. Another thing he's famous for, he did the voice of Deep Thought, the computer Deep Thought, in the TV series Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He's got a very distinctive deep voice. Yes. Um, And that's him. And I think he's done other... He's probably done loads of voice work, but he was only in it very briefly. But I knew him. uh, I I kind of thought... He reminds me a bit of Fred Gwynn. A little. Yeah, in terms of that's a good comparison. Um, but yeah, he, that's the only time we see him in this film, isn't it? Um, but I do remember thinking, oh, that all, that accent's awful. But I kind of <laughs> knew him. I still knew it, through the accent, I knew the voice, and I knew it from the face. Uh, so yeah, that he does appear, yes. Um, and apart from the, the four main leads and him and, and Mrs. Dudley, we also get... Um, uh, I mean, Dr. Mark Way is Richard Johnson's character, isn't it? But we also get his wife turn up near the end. Uh, did you guys recognise his wife from anything? I didn't recognise her from anything. Um... Becky, did you recognise her? Because no. I, I <laughs> I've never noticed this before, but this time it's like, oh my goodness, it's her. Lois Maxwell is the actress's name. Does that help? No. Money Penny. It's Money Penny. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Yes. Man, she looks good in this. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Yeah, because she looks a bit schoolmarmish in the Bond films, but man, she does look good in it. Anyway, yeah, that's her. So she turns up too. How about that? Um, yeah, so um, <laughs> they basically get bed into the house and get themselves comfortable, but then strange things start happening. Don't they? This is a hell of a house in, in the interior, isn't it? Oh, it's gorgeous. Like, it, yeah. it definitely has a, uh, I mean, you can tell it's, it's from the 60s, but, you know, it, it's it's very luxurious, I would say. Now, uh, yes, it is. I mean, it's all night and, and, you know, carvings and sort of tools. I mean, door handles play a lot in both films, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, door they also make great use of the house and all of the spaces and angles by using the, I think it was an anamorphic lens. They use a special lens that the studio, uh, sorry, the people that created the lens were not happy it was going to produce the best results. So they made the director sign a, an affidavit saying, yes, I understand. I will not get the best results from all this. Because like, it know, wasn't ready yet, right? Like it was still testing. They were working out how best to use it, but he wanted to use it for distortion, right? So that's fine. Uh, and we see some of that in some of the scenes, looking at the seeding in the doorways and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, the other thing that I thought was striking about the film was the use of sound. Uh, any thoughts, Becky? I think at the beginning it seemed as though the the music might be a little bit intrusive, but even though it was dramatic, I think it was restrained, if that makes any sense. <laughs> It was, it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't low key, was it? It was kind of in your face music, but used sparingly. It was used emotionally, if that word makes any sense, in terms of the, the experiences of the characters and how effective the, yeah. the film is. It, if that makes any sense. It made sense to me, yeah. It was, it didn't intrude. 
Yes. It, it just it added to it. I was thinking also about the non-music. You know, what did I call it? Diegetic sound. Um, you know, the banging and the sort of rattling and stuff like that. That it was very. It was almost Italian spaghetti western volume. <laughs> Sometimes really loud banging and stuff, which worked well. I think it made you jump. It did. I, I can imagine the audience in the '60s. It probably really, really got them as well. Yeah. And also, when we get into some of the scenes later where Eleanor's kind of lying in bed and hearing stuff, uh, there was, you know, children's voices or uh, young girls sort of laughing and and an intense close-up of some of the carving that was very effective. Yeah, and the wallpaper, which I thought was a great use of shadows and uh, pareidolia. When the human mind just uh, formulates faces. Patterns, yes. I mean, it did oh, look yeah. like a fun. Um, sorry, sorry, formulates patterns, yes. Um, uh, but it, uh, it produced a seemingly, you know, a face within the wallpaper itself. And as the shadow moved across the wall, it appeared to be move- moving because it was such a sustained shot. It was just so incredibly effective, even though, you know, how anything was really happening. Yeah, it was amazing. It was almost like, is that thing talking to her? Um uh, and there is one I mean there are the the if I remember rightly the the film follows the book quite closely in terms of plot uh, and in certain scenes there's definitely a scene in the book where she thinks she's holding hands with Theo Eleanor thinks she's holding ha- hands with Theo and um you know when the lights go on or whatever she isn't whereas in the book she's not in act she's just saying well who was holding my hand uh you know it's, uh, sorry in the film is who was holding my hand uh but it's kind of still the same kind of thing now do you think i mean in the book there's kind of a lesbian undertone do you think that came through in this film i was curious about that actually because uh well maybe it was because i watched the 99 version first it was definitely made clear in that oh yeah, version. yeah, yeah. In, in the 60s version i think I don't think it's as clear because, you know, female friends and, and I think female friends are, are much oftentimes much closer than male friends. And, and maybe that's stereotyping. And, and I don't mean to stereotype, but just from what I've observed, you know, females can be a lot closer than males. And and so I don't know. I didn't know if they were going for that or if they were trying to hint at a bit of a, a kind of lesbian angle with this. Yeah. What do you think, Becky? Oh, 100%, definitely. And I love that about it with Theo particularly because the dialogue is so beautiful for the time. They, I think it must have been a little bit controversial in the way that this came across. But Theo, um, I think it's when they first meet and Nell says to her, we're going to be best friends. And she says, like sisters, and looks at her. And it's just that look. And then the way that Theo taunts her because she knows that Nell has a bit of a thing for Mr. Markway in quite a nasty way to, you know, really get a rise out of her. Um, and also there's a scene with Luke and he goes to is touched through in some way and she's very violent in the way she pushes him off and he goes oh it's like that is it and he looks at Nell so I think it really does come across in the film and also we get a scene where they're talking in bed and um, Nell asks Eleanor if she's married and sorry Nell asks Theo if she's married and Theo looks at her and just says no and it's the way she looks at her It's, it's a really nice um, very subtle approach to it, which we don't get in the the remake, but we'll come to that. 
I, I agree, Becky. I, I think there is there is something there, and it has to be subtle, I think, because of the time. But it's kind of clear in there, in the same way. If you know about it, you can see it. It's one of those kind of. It's a bit like Ben Hur. If you know about the sort of gay subtext of Ben Hur, you kind of see it. Uh, but if you don't know about it, you may not at all. You know, it's mm. stuff like that. I hope I'm not shattering anyone's <laughs> illusions about Ben Hur there. Uh, um, I also think that Eleanor kind of reacts to the Doctor, doesn't she, somewhat? And I think he's kind of. He's quite patriarchal, isn't he? But he's also fairly masculine and confident. And I think she's kind of responding to that somewhat. And Theo's the same way. And I think that is also something Eleanor's reacting to. Whereas Luke's a bit more of a, not a beta male, but uh, I don't know. He is a beta male, I guess, isn't it? You know, a a junior male. I don't know, in a way. I mean, he's a college frat boy socially. Yeah, that's kind of what and I got from him too. Also, like, I wouldn't say the doctor's very patriarchally. He really seems to understand Eleanor and he, it seems to be the only male relationship she's had, sorry, a relationship that she's had with a male in that way. It seems to be the only experience she, she's had. And like the point where she's on the stairs and he's with her later on in the film, he's very, very kind and affectionate. Mm. And he doesn't seem, I wouldn't say necessarily patriarchal. Um, but I don't know with Luke. Well, take charge. Is yes. Oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, well, he's he's leading the investigation, and he's you yeah. know got to ensure everybody's safety. And I think quite it's more confident. But you're quite right. It's fairly mature, isn't he? In that he takes responsibility. It's more looking after through. them. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely um, had that kind of a uh, Quatermass vibe going a little bit there. Yeah. The yes. the good side of Quatermass, I'd say. Not right. The, right. You know, I get any. I don't care. I just want <clears> results, kind of Quatermass. You know what? The, I think. The, Quite a mess in the pit, quite a mess, I think. Mark Quay seemed to care more about the group and the experiment than he did his wife, in some mm. respects. They, they actually pick out, when his wife turns up, they go, I didn't know you were married, and I didn't know that if that was meant to be a coded, hmm, why didn't you tell us you were married? <laughs> or, I, don't, I couldn't quite read that. The, the film's quite subtle, in many ways, actually. Yeah. Uh, sort of doing that. So it tries to... A multi-layer what it's talking about which is great you know the the best texts are are uh, multi-layered and can be interpreted in different ways um one of the things i really like while well, there's one little element of the film which is certainly open to interpretation is the scrawled message on the wall help eleanor come home uh that can be interpreted in all sorts of ways i really like the uh, sort of ambiguous ambiguous nature of that message when they find it um there's also they hit cold spots and stuff, don't they, in this house as well? There's, there's sort, sort of what, what's happening. It's noise, um, cold spots, and messages, and 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 sometimes a weird distortion of the senses, which could be um, subjective, right? It's it's hard to know, really. And also, potentially some kind of manifestation of an animal, because the the men say that they heard and followed a dog outside at one point and that's oh, when yeah. the women hear the the knocking and as, as if something's separating them yeah and then we hear some voices too in some of the sort of sort of bits of it don't we as well well certainly eleanor does um so um it's weird how eleanor's it, it, one of the things that i think's it, clear in the book is Eleanor's affinity to the house is not quite as it doesn't arise naturally from the screenplay 
I don't think. What's your thoughts, Lucard? Yeah, I mean, I do think that the actually the ninety nine version kind of does a better job in conveying that she is uh, kind of obsessed with the house. You really don't get that with this film until the very end. Very end, right? Yes. And then, then it sort of comes through. Okay, like she really wants to stay in this house. Yeah. Um, um, some of the scenes were quite, you know, memorable and, and distinctive. Uh, is there, Becky? Did you have a particular favorite scene? Should I, I think... tell you one I liked, and then you give you a bit of time to think about it? Sure. I really like the bit where Eleanor just dancing. I think that's a really distinctive image that makes the film stand out. It made me think of, I don't know, stuff like, I want to say Carnivore Souls, but I'm trying to remember if there's any dancing bits in that. But it had a sort of almost Italian-esque kind of feel to it, you know, the, when the Itali- Italian Gothic kind of films. Uh, but there, I think there were several really good scenes, actually. Lucar, was, was there any you particularly liked or stand out for you? Uh, i got to say the scene with the spiral stairs... You know, where she's walking up and she's almost like in, in a trance, you know, like she's entranced by the house or a ghost. Or you could question, you know, has she just gone crazy at that point? Uh, yeah. That scene for me was just really, really well done. I was like, oh, man, this this is why I come to watch horror movies, you know. You're going to see a lot of the spiral staircase in the TV show when you have to watch it. Uh, you know, it's very, <laughs> very interesting. How about you, Becky? Any particular scene or moments stand out for you? I really did love the transitions in the film, particularly at the beginning with uh, the, the aging transition for right. Abigail Crane, I think that was. Oh, yeah, yeah. When she's a child. And also um, Mrs. Crane, is it, who falls down the stairs? Yeah, she falls down the stairs. Oh, does she? I'm, Isn't I'll she the... I know. Isn't she involved in an accident with the like the horse and carriage, and then all oh, somebody falls down the stairs? I think it's, his, like, it's his second wife, I believe, who right, falls down. Right there. You go. Um, and then it's so, like, okay, did she intentionally fall down, or was it a ghost? Because you could definitely take that either way. I I felt like anyway. What did you think, Becky? Oh, one hundred percent. And I loved the angles there, particularly. It was. I think for the time, the really strange angle when we see her face upside down must have been quite shocking. I think there's no blood, there's no gore, but it really does make me jump. The same with Marquay's wife when she's revealed when Marquay and Eleanor are on the staircase and she opens up the attic trapdoor. That yeah. was a real jump scare. <laughs> that I think. was a jump scare, right? Yeah. <laughs> that, that was good. And um, then I thought it was the wife, didn't she, and stuff like that. Yes, um, and then of course she's around in the final scene which again really scared me seeing her figure you know run out from behind the tree before Eleanor crashes the car but just coming back as well to your point there about the the house one thing I wanted to ask you both was the house itself and this is I think particularly in in the first film Eleanor mentions several times about the effect of the house on her and how inch by inch she seems to be giving herself up to the house are there any other films you can think of in which the house itself is possessing someone? Um, uh, yeah, The Shining is, is the obvious Ooh, one. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I was going to say, I've already mentioned um, haunted house stories where people are going to investigate uh, are a particular sub genre in their own right, but I think also there's haunted house stories where it's the house is the thing rather than the ghosts or the people. But it's yeah. the house. Um, I'm trying to think, maybe Legend of Hell House. But yeah. even that is, is the house has become evil by what was 
done inside it. Whereas that this one is the house, isn't it? Oh, it's absolutely. So having said that, it's kind of also what went on inside it too. Uh, Amityville Horror, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think oh, yeah. That's a good American one. Horror Story, the first series, perhaps. Yeah. Um, also, there was a um, a mini series by Stephen King, which I haven't watched, but he wrote it in a you know in thinking about how how good the haunting was, which is Rose Red. Uh, which yes. I think is that, and there's also the Stone Tapes, which was a TV Nigel Neal TV sort of uh, movie that was kind of interesting, which again was people going in to investigate a, a haunted place. Um, so there's a few, there's a few, yeah. but I mean the obvious one probably The Shining. I'm pretty sure Stephen King had had this Shirley Jackson story front and centre most on his mind when he was thinking about what's going on because the Overlook is. The bad guy in that film, right? Yeah. Pretty much. And, and sto- well, more so in the story, actually, but the film too, I think. Yeah. I think it's a so, really interesting subgenre. It is a, interesting. I like the investigating ones too, you know, which will be like the um, the Warrens and stuff like that too, right? <laughs> Drink. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Enfield Haunting and, and um, The Conjuring 2, for example. Um, yeah, possibly The Conjuring. Yeah, I would say What's definitely the, the first one too. Yeah, it, well, it's well, difficult. It's kind of the house. Yeah, you know, it was the house, I guess. It's... But also, what was done inside? I don't know. It's, well, it's kind of hard to say. I think you make the distinction between the house and the land because a lot of the, like, if you think about Poltergeist, for example, it's the land itself. Yeah, yeah. that's true. See, yeah. I wouldn't class. Yeah, Poltergeist is the the causal thing is the land it's built on, but. You don't think of the house as being the bad guy, do you? Exactly. The ghost being the bad guy. Right. But it, same with the way. conjuring, because that was meant to be mm. Bathsheba's land and she cursed anyone who settled on it. Okay. So uh, it, it's, it's a strange, it's, it's a very kind of fine line, but I think it's a really interesting subgenre <clears> where <throat> the house itself is meant to be the possessing entity. Yeah. I'm trying to think this. I mean, I guess the woman in black maybe but again that's people not the house it's tricky isn't it it is yeah (laughs) it's fascinating Um, though it really is uh yeah i I certainly think in terms of the house being the bad guy it's this movie and the shining are the two obvious ones possibly amateurville horror as well and you can see the how that's influenced like you said in in the shining from this uh this story yeah um Okay, I think while we're talking about other sort of horror films, how do you, where where would you put this film in your personal list of haunted house movies? Is it near the top, near the bottom? Where would you put this one, Becky? Oh, right near the top. This film, I think we have The Shining, The Changeling, and oh, I think I would have to say Legend of Hell House. Yeah. Um, what about you, Lucard? I would have to say, yeah, this is probably just below The Shining. You know, this is really good. Um, really, really good stuff. Probably number two, you know, Shining number one. And Right. Well, that, that's pretty high price. Yeah. Right? Legend I pers- of Hell House, maybe number three. I, I Yeah, I, I personally put Legend of Hell House as my number one because I really love that film. It's It's, it's got good. a really nasty, malevolent streak that, really works quite well yeah <laughs> as a horror film um i think this is probably i think i like the innocence 
And I'm not sure if the innocence quite qualifies for what we're talking about, because it is about ghosts, but it's not about a house, really. It's a location, but it's more about ghosts. Um, I really like the innocence, and probably this third. I, I, I prefer those over The Shining. I quite like The Shining, but I just prefer the sort of these black and white. I think they've got more style to them, actually. Yeah. So, you know, that's difficult to say against Kubrick, but... I just do. I just do. What is um, it about that that black and white film that that works for you, Mark? Because it's the same with me. Like the, a lot of times, just a traditional black and white horror film. I don't know, man. For whatever reason, it just really works more for me than a lot of the uh, the colorized films. I think the monochrome just lends itself to really effective use of shadow. When you get into color, shadow becomes less important and significant. There are there are some really great films where shadow is still important um, and darkness is still important. And I'm not necessarily talking about horror. I'm talking about things like The Godfather, say. If you watch that film, excellent, fantastic use of shadow. Uh, and it's not obvious. You'd have to like sit there looking for it to see it. But when you see it, it's like, oh, man, that's fantastic. Um, um, but all of this comes from... Um, noir and you know it's kind of fusions of noir and horror and they've yeah. evolved to this point where these uh sort of early 60s black and whites are just really using effectively i mean you can all you can trace all this back to james well actually brian frankenstein and frankenstein and old dark house kind yeah. of light um that's where a lot of it comes from um, and some of the shots in, in this film and in the 1999 could have come straight out of the old dark house, actually. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I Black definitely... and White just lends itself to, to shadow, use of shadow as a, as a, me, as a, as a means to sort of say something. That's what I think. Yeah, I can see that. And Old Dark House, you've mentioned that. I, I thought about that too when I was watching this film. You know, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, um, you know, the old dark house is a very different film, but it's it still does involve sort of a haunted house minus ghosts, you know. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I definitely see that influence there for sure. Uh, yeah, you know, we we keep going back to the old dark house so often. Uh, we do. You know, it's it's yeah. and it's almost an unknown. I feel like, which is crazy. It is. I mean, it's known about people who know about these sorts of things, and it was lost for many years. You got. To, it was so a lot of people and then that made it like held in very very high esteem but luckily when it was found again it lived up to that reputation so that's good right because sometimes you find these things it's like eh, eh. <laughs> yeah but old dark uh, house just just to mention one more time i mean that that's like one of my favorite horror films now again you know black and white uh, indeed, I was watching it myself not long ago. Uh, my daughter came in who's never seen it. She's like 16. You wouldn't think a 1930s film would entertain her, but she thought it was fun. She came in halfway through, you know, saw the old lady and the mad bro. <laughs> she loved it. <laughs> have a potato. So, have a potato. <laughs> All that. Um, so, yeah, That's it awesome. still works. It still works. Um, That's awesome. Um, okay, let's let's somehow final thoughts, I think, and a, and a rating. Uh, so, Becky. Well, just to touch on what you said there, I think coming back to your points about the music and the visuals, it really does remind me of silent horror. 
the right. the great use of shadows and such and i think that's why perhaps it's really compelling as well as the performances which we have i think some great subtext and i think that the film this one really does as mark said take on the themes of the book and actually develop them in even more interesting ways and i think that the remake the way that that develops it further and also the television series just shows how uh, rich that original text was and you know just so many ways that you can kind of look at it so i think for me this film i would have to give it a 10 because there's nothing at all that i would change there and the book one thing that really sticks out i think in the book like max said there's some great dialogue and there's some really interesting subtext between the characters and their relationships that isn't explored too much in this film but i know that a lot of scenes were cut from the original script and there's one bit where eleanor and theo see uh, a vision in the garden if you will of it's nighttime but it's it's daytime and in this vision that they see and somebody's having a picnic um kind of an out of period vision if you will and as they run away because theo is meant to have esp which again is explored in this film they um are running and theo does look back whereas nell doesn't and she tells her don't look back you, you know you don't want to see and we never know what that is and i think that this is what the film captures so well with the camera work and the acting and the script you don't have to see everything but it's truly chilling to me and you know watching this now alongside contemporary horror films it's just as effective and it really does scare me every time awesome Lickard. yeah it's it's a great film no doubt about it um and really everything becky said you know it's got a lot of great elements to it uh and you know i definitely want to go and, and read the book proper now because the film is so good uh I'm going to give it probably an 8. Yeah, I'll give it an 8 out of 10. It's really good. I don't think it's quite as good as, like, you know, if you want to compare, like, The Shining. Um, but, man, it's really good. And it's, you know, if you love old-school horror films, uh, I think this is definitely up there. Because a, a lot of times it's about what you don't see. And this film has a great way of making you question, as we talked about before, is this in her mind? Like, is she crazy or, you know, is this really going on? So there's still that underlining question of, is this the house or is this her? So, yeah, I definitely liked it and uh, high, high recommend. Uh, so 8 out of 10 for me. 8 out of 10. Right. Okay, well, um, I really do like this film, but I don't love it. Um, there's something about it that doesn't... Uh, sing to my talk to my soul uh, and i can't quite put my finger on it because all the elements are there and i really like it i think it's a little slow to start uh i, I do have that problem with it and i think there's sometimes we get in in a dialogue from eleanor where we don't need it we can see exactly what's going on there's bits where she's sort of in the room on her own looking at stuff what's going on I don't think we needed to hear what was going on in her head. The sounds and everything did exactly what we needed to do. However, there are also times where we hear Eleanor's inner dialogue, which are perfect. So I'm not saying the whole thing is wrong. I just think that there's a few times it was a little overused. Um, let me read you my review on Letterboxd. Um, this kind of sums up for me. Uh, this is what I've put. Lo lovely, atmospheric, tense, watchable, not scary, but mesmeric. 
Um, and I also make the note that it atones very, it, it, um, it adheres very closely to the original book in terms of tone and content. Um, and, uh, my summary in the, in the review is overall beautiful horror. It's a beautiful film. It's a beautiful film. But like I say, for some reason, I can't put my finger on it. I don't love it. Um, uh, but um, I really appreciate And like you say, Becky had a great opening. Uh, and it used some of that. I don't think it used the whole paragraph. It may have used the whole paragraph. But it used some of that fantastic opening and closing paragraph uh, of the original story. So, you know, which finishes whatever walk there, walked alone. Which, uh, which is a great line. Um, but I also would give it eight out of ten. Uh, though I acknowledge this is a class, this is a horror classic. There's no doubt about that. It's just the score reflects the fact that I just don't love this film. I don't think, oh, I need to watch the, the haunting. Uh, and there's loads of films I feel much more strongly sort of connected to than this, though I really do appreciate it. So uh, for me, it's an eight out of ten. But I acknowledge, you know, objectively, it's a classic horror film. Okay, so nineteen ninety nine version of this <laughs> film, directed by Jan de Bont. Now, when Robert, I talked about Robert Wise's um, sort of record. I was talking about things like Daily Earthstood Steel and uh, Sound of Music and West Side Story and and Star Trek. Jan de Bont has got Twister, <laughs> Speed, yeah. which is a good film. Speed yeah. Two. And Lara Croft too, and a couple of others, but not as well known as those ones. So, quite a bit of a change. For some reason, I had in my head I thought he also did the remake of Psycho, but he didn't, did he? That was uh, I can't remember who it was, but it wasn't him. Um, Gus yeah. Van Sant. Yes, I got it mixed <laughs> up with Gus Van Sant. Um, so this one's got Liam Neeson, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Owen Wilson, Lily Taylor, an amazingly surprising pop-up. Bruce Dern, who's not in very much, but it's like, that's Bruce Dern. See, <laughs> um, so yes, uh, made as I say, made in 99, budget of 80 million dollars. How about oh, that? It always um, sets. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I think the CG took a lot, yeah, unfortunately. The sets were, were very good, though. Um, uh, so this one was the externals. Uh, again, not far from me, probably an hour's drive from me, Harlaxton Manor in Lincolnshire. Uh, so a bit nearer to you, Becky, than, uh, than Warwickshire, I think. Uh, what, nearer to Manchester? Yeah, I think so. Lincolnshire. Okay. I'm not quite sure which bit of Lincolnshire it is, but if not, it's really close. Um, this looked amazing, this place. What do you think? Yeah. Out of the two, I actually prefer the way this one looked to the, the first film, believe it or not. Uh, like the use of space in this film is really well done and really well, um, uh, what would be the word photographed? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, photogenic. Uh, I mean, yeah, when, I, when I said it was Harlock's the Manor, it's only the externals, the internals were a studio, uh, pretty much. I think, apart from, apparently, there was one bit in some kitchens, which I don't remember specifically, they were filmed at a place called Beaver Castle. Uh, which is in Ling- uh, Leicestershire, so not far from me, actually. Um, uh, and Beaver is spelled B-E-L-V-O-I-R. Just, just ah, that's that. how it's spelled actually here in Belfast, and I learned that the hard way. Yeah, 
not Belvoir, it's Beaver. Yes. <laughs> out Beaver. I know, I know. Oh, man. It's, it's, it's us English, right? We just. As know. an American, oh. I stay very confused. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so. Um, uh, and I mean, all the internals were studio pretty much, apart from possible, some stuff in the kitchens. Um, yeah. This didn't do that well. Um, Surprising. Yeah, apparently it was the whole thought of remaking this came about in the conversation between Steven Spielberg and Stephen King, who agreed that the haunting 1963 was like the benchmark perfect haunted house movie. And they were talking about how we're making that. And they couldn't agree on anything. Stephen King wanted to make all the people in the house heroic and brave. And I wonder if Poltergeist had something to do with it. But King wanted to make them terrified. King sounds like he was much more on the money in terms of horror. But it did inspire King to go on and write Rose Red, the miniseries about like people investigating the haunting house, which I've not seen. I will get to as part of my own Kingology podcast at some point, but uh, um, I wouldn't mind seeing it. But I was going to try and cram it for this, but then I found out it was over four hours long, so I did. Oh, well. I would like um, to see that too, though. That, that would be yeah. really interesting. So, uh, yeah. Sorry, God. It's very interesting how King's relationships and conversations with other filmmakers and artists have shaped his own work, I think. Oh, indeed. Um, I'm, like I say, to shine. The thing is, that's the thing with writers. They, they kind of do feed off each other. Um, I, I didn't mention, I did mean to mention it when we talk about the original haunting. Um, I do believe there's a story by James Herbert called The Dark which sounds like it was directly inspired by both The Haunting and The Legend of Hell House, in that it's about uh, an evil guy, a bit like Alistair Crowley-ish guy, who basically does all these evil things in this house because he, he believes it's going to generate a certain psychic energy of darkness uh, as, a, as an epicenter, and that's what that story's about. Um, so, you know, writers are like that, right? They just they get inspired. I mean, we're, you know... I write too. It's like just little things just inspire you. You never know where you're going to go. And King, most of all, can transfer that into gold, right? Those kind of things. Oh, 100%. It's just how uh, maybe how things didn't work out the way he intended that have made him then go on to, to reshape and, and things like that. I just think with him particularly, maybe because he's so prolific, I don't know. I mean, in any bookshop here, you know, King is the prominent, you know, author as such. Yeah. But it's just very interesting how that shaped his career and also led to his, uh, you know, directorial work, for example. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I also think King, I'm going off on a tangent though, but I also think King does, some of his works are real perennials and their very nature uh, sort of suggests remake. Um, it is, a, is, is one, but things like Carrie, I think they've got certain sort of universal things in them that will appeal to each generation. Yes. Um, I agree. Uh, yeah. And I think The Shining's... I know we've not had that particularly remade successfully, but The Shining, I think, as a story, d- is one that has a sort of perennial aspects to it. And I think, funny enough, Pet Cemetery has too. And I know there's a remake coming out of that, though I'm not that infused by the trailer, obviously. Um, yeah, anyway, really getting off the point. Really getting off the point here. Uh, <laughs> a few other things about this film just before we get into it. Um, got a lot of nominations at the Razzies. 
this one. <laughs> um, so uh, they didn't win anything, so that's good, right? It was dominated for the worst actress, Catherine Zeta-Jones, which I don't agree with. I think the actor was just fine in this film, personally. Now was she? I had no problem. Was she, she was. Character? She was. She was uh, Theo. Okay, now I would say the the one who uh, who played the the main character. She should have probably won, but we'll get into that. Ah, uh, sure. that's a shame. <laughs> Lily Taylor. Uh, worst screen. I, I do agree with this one. Worst screen couple: Catherine Zeta-Jones and Lily Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jander Bond, worst director. I don't have a problem with the direction in this film. I Some of the directorial decisions, maybe, but yeah. actually, I, I quite like some of the shots. And stuff. Worst screenplay, which I definitely agree with. Yes, definitely I agree, agree with that. <laughs> Probably should have uh, won. And worst picture, nah, there was worse films in 1999 than this, oh, yeah. in my opinion. The, um, uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger film that came out at the time, that <laughs> was like a Weird action horror film. Can't think of the name, but yeah, that was... End of Days? End of Days, yeah. (laughs) I have a soft spot for that. I like it too. Anyway, okay, so let's get into this film. Should we start with the negatives or the positives? The negatives. Let's 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 move up. Negatives. All right, (laughs) Becky. Oh, where to start? Um, I think, and, you know, I'll say off the bat, if you haven't listened to We Hate Movies episode on this, you have to go and listen. It captures everything just beautifully. It's so, so funny. But I think for me, it's the the shoehorned backstory with Eleanor as Hugh Crane's great-granddaughter, is it? Would it be? Because uh, that's really not explored. His uh, wife uh, died, apparently, in childbirth. So how is she... Or is it, it's uh, not yeah, explained. Yeah, too white. Yeah, something about she managed to get away and have children. It was really... It I was jammed never... in a single line, and I didn't really understand. Exactly. Okay, that, okay I didn't know either. I was like, what? what? Where did this come from? Yes, that would be uh, a bad part of me. The CGI, for example, the bit where her hair is done by a, a, a child ghost... Just no. It's oh, just, yeah, the CGI was rough. <laughs> oh, it's it bad. <laughs> it was. And the, for me, um, I think the way that the plot just had elements that went nowhere. And again, we hate movies. And I was absolutely crying, laughing, walking down the street listening to this. But, for example, Mary and Todd, who are the research associates uh, of Liam Neeson in this, they oh, we don't see them, but they just go, don't they? Well, Mary is there when he's choosing people to be in the study, and of course we find out everybody drops out apart from Theo, Eleanor, and Luke. And, we, you know, like I said, we see Mary, but Todd just turns up out of the blue at the, the house itself, and Mary has a bit of an accident with the piano, which it looks like it's ghostly activity. She goes to the hospital with Todd, and she's never seen again. It's just, you know, when they drive off, Liam Neeson's like, oh, you know, let, ring me as soon as you know what's happening, and we don't hear from them. It's as if huge chunks of the film are missing, and it's also, I think, really evident part where Theo and Nell are at the gates of hell doors so it's you know like you said the house is absolutely huge and the doors themselves are massive but these particular doors are just huge and they depict the gates of hell and Theo is an art student and so she talks about you know the different elements of those but then Nell picks up on that and talks about demons and such and turns around and you know gives off about it and Theo says to oh did you study 
uh, as well. And she said, no, I studied purgatory. I was there for 11 years. <laughs> yeah, that and makes, I was that, like, what? That, what? Is, what? that is almost the best line in the film. Yeah. Uh, and it's of, brushed uh, aside. There's okay. one other, I laughed at even more than that, but that was a funny one. Yeah. Well, Sorry, go on. Just to say that, you know, we know that Eleanor's mother was, you know, she was, Eleanor was her mother's carer and 11 years is mentioned, which is also mentioned in the the film. And I can't remember if that's the, the number of years in the book that she's a carer for her mother. But then at the time she tells them that she is, you know, she's been looking after her mother since she was little. That's all she can remember. So I don't know where the 11 years comes from, unless that's when she was solely looking after her and her sister wasn't. We'll get to that in a minute because that's obviously Virginia Madsen. I think she's very underutilized. But oh yeah, you could have Virginia Madsen in a film and she's only in it two minutes. <sighs> exactly, it's like Bruce Dern. You know, yeah. it's just it's just silly to me. But I can understand with the doors and the purgatory comment if you know her mother, Eleanor's mother, was very religious. Maybe that's something that's been you know part of her childhood and, and upbringing. But Normally you'd say, oh, I've been in hell for this amount of time. Purgatory is a very unusual yeah. reference, I think, and the fact that she knows about it. But it's just brushed under the carpet, and Catherine Zeta-Jones as Theo just kind of goes, oh, yeah, okay, and just that's it then. But the other big thing is, of course, this film centres around Liam Neeson. I think it's very unethical. No university would allow this, and there's a really interesting little conversation between him and his dean or such at the beginning, where he gives him the okay to do it, but his study is into fear. That's his... uh, We need to eliminate fear! (laughs) (laughs) It's area of psychology or whatever it is, and of course he's pretending that this is a sleep deprivation study, and that as I was saying um, earlier on... No, I've got to correct you, that insomnia study. Okay. There's a reason I'm correcting you, which I'll come on to. But yes, yeah, yes, of... yes. Sorry. But it brings this whole new element to the story and how they are not told the truth about their surroundings, which I thought was really interesting. But it also leads us into another part of the plot that isn't fully explained. And that is the phone call to Eleanor. Because later on in the film, Liam Neeson just drops the line, I didn't call you about the study. So... I mean, she was she, he had her photograph, so I don't understand who phoned her. What, oh. But it just goes absolutely nowhere, and it really does feel like the film was chopped to pieces. Um, okay. We'll probably come back to some more about this, but, Lucard, th- negatives about this film. Oh, man, there are so many. <laughs> uh, as I said, the, the acting is just awful. I could not believe, like... For a 1999 film, you know, like, you kind of think, okay, we're sort of into the modern era, right? But, I don't know, to me, no one is really great in this film. But, I will say that the lead actress, again, is so bad. Like, I don't know, I I think maybe, like, halfway through filming, she must have just been like, you know what, just fuck it. (laughs) Like, this this film is going to be bad no matter what we do. So, So, She did look like she'd been crying a lot. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I think maybe, well, maybe it was because she knew this movie's just going to turn out bad. But, man, that was bad. As you guys said, the, the CG is just terrible. And, I mean, I know, like, CG had not been perfected in 1999, but CG had, it was definitely more than passable at that point, and this just looks like a rushed mess. Um, yeah, uh, the, and as you guys, you guys already talked about some of the horrible plot points. I mean... The, the film is kind of just all over the place. It, it doesn't really feel terribly connected. 
to me anyway, like you said, there had to be like some missing scenes or, or something because it just, it's very weird. Um, so yeah, just all these things did not really work for me, kind of just to reiterate you know, what you guys are saying. Yeah, I had much the same problems as, as you said. From a bad, um, I've got a few good to say, but we'll do yeah. that in a bit. Um, yeah, it's not all bad. Um, I didn't mind the acting as much as you. I thought it was fine. I thought really that the real disaster in this, there were two disasters in this film as far as I'm concerned. The screenplay was just bad. Um, <laughs> and, and the CGI, the CGI was just, oh, stop doing the weird creepy kids like they're nice. It's just, you know, kid faces everywhere. And, and the curtain thing was just terrible. Where you know oh, it's supposed yeah. to be a ghost under a curtain showing you the features of the ghost, but the features were too good. You know, if someone's got their head in a curtain, they don't look like their perfect face. They look like bits of their face where it's touching the curtain, right? Right. It's, it just didn't make sense. Um, uh, and oh, what else? Um, there was a line that I particularly loved, which is. <laughs> In mock horror, when when Theo uh, and I think Eleanor find out the Doctor's actually doing an experiment in fear rather than uh, you know insomnia issues, Theo confronts the Doctor and she goes, "You don't care about insomnia. <laughs> like <laughs> insomnia is the thing we should all care about. <laughs> you don't how care how about dare you? <laughs> I'll never sleep again. Uh, I did like." I want to know what size suitcase um, Theo bought because she seemed to have an outfit <laughs> in every scene. It was like she had something different in every. And all, talking of which, I mean, oh, Wilson yeah, jumped, was, right? Um, uh, um, and his baseball glove. He's, and his pajamas with a little spaceman yeah. on or whatever they were, bless him. I love Owen Wilson, but he felt so out of place in this film, you know? Oh, his wows just made the film for me. Oh. Whoa. Wow! Wow! Uh, I can't do uh, that with a Salford accent. <laughs> and, uh, wow! <laughs> I, also, I did understand the whole. Uh, what was it? The the fireplace thing that was the flume thing. It was a giant lion's head. Like yeah. A, it's like how is that a flume or or a gate or whatever? That I don't know. That makes no sense. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't understand what's going on. Um, and I did crack up quite a number of times whenever the house took on a weird face-like sort of reorientation. So it was like meant to be a face. It didn't you know, the actual it, yeah. house it was, like, it was ridiculous. It looked like, it reminded me of Monster House, you know, the kid CGI movie. Um, oh, yeah, that's a good comparison. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, I was laughing my head off at that bit. It did get me once, though, I have to say. There was one bit where um, Nell was poking around in the cinder pit underneath the fire, and she found a skull, and then it sat up. That did make me jump, and I, uh, I thought, you know, jump scares, but it kind of was a bit of a change. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, positives. Positives, Becky. I'm surprised that Catherine Zeta Jones was nominated for a Razzie as worst actress because I think she was she did her best with the material and her character. It was, it was just terrible dialogue. It really was, but I mean, her accent, I've got to commend her. Compared to Liam Neeson, bless him. You know, it, we get that oh, burr all the way through. Through. <laughs> but you know, Liam Neeson doing an accent. Yes, he's. Well, it's, it's that weird. Well, he's from Balamina, isn't he? And he's got that really 
strange American yeah, burr. Are you trying to do American? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Really? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, listen to him. Like, because obviously I've it's been in... kind of doing Russian, kind of. So. <laughs> you know, being... I've lived in Ireland for, like, uh, Northern Ireland, I should say, for uh, about a year now. And I've been to Balmina. And it's really interesting to hear... It's, it's a very Americanized version. Or, you know, of, of his, his speech. But Catherine Cedar Jones, you know, she is Welsh for anybody who doesn't know that. And she really picks up the accent beautifully, I think. So, you know, fair play to her on that account. But I think she really does what she can with this performance. And coming back to We Hate Movies, they really shit all over uh, poor Lily Taylor. And I really feel for her because I think she's, she's great in The Conjuring. And she seems to get a lot of, of flack but it's just it's not necessarily her it's the character and the the script i think here i mean that painting of ukraine is straight out of ghostbusters 2 yeah it really is you know it's Vico the car painting isn't it <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, it really man. does look like that doesn't it it's just yeah. yeah yeah it does or or if you've seen the 40s version of um picture of dorian gray it looks a bit like that picture as well Yes. Google it afterwards if you don't want to look at that. It, it's really quite striking without that. Um, okay. <laughs> well, Lily <laughs> Taylor, she she is better in other things for sure, you know. But God, I just I think she was the worst in this film. I don't know. Uh, so I can't blame them for kind of like shitting all over her because it was, it was okay. Bad. Um, if if you've got any more, Becky, hold up. We'll we'll go through our. Lucard and I go through our goods. <laughs> if if they coincide, bring come jump back in or jump back in anyway. But uh, if there's any we miss, we'll come back. We'll cycle back on the goods because I think there might be some other goods, all right? But um, okay, Lucard, any goods? Uh, yeah, I mean, as I said, the, the cinematography is really, really well done in this. Like all the sets are just um, really good. Like it, it definitely feels like a, a big Hollywood kind of production, sort of how I would think of a haunted mansion, you know. Um, so that part is really great. And, you know, the uh, I guess the, the sound effects, they're fine. You know, they work. They, they're nothing really special. But, uh, but yeah, those two things, you know, not, not horrible. But, I, again, the sets just, uh, they really blew me away. I, I thought that was really, really well done. Also, um, you know, speaking of the sets, the, the use of lighting is really... Uh, well done in this. I don't think it's nearly as good as the original film by any means, but, you know, you, you get some cool little uh, sort of dark areas, you know, where you're like, okay, is something going to pop out? And uh, sometimes, unfortunately, it, it ends up being like some CG ghost, but uh, but still well done. So yeah. Okay, well, Mark, you have... I'll t- yeah, I'll, I'll come to some of my others, but um, you've got... Um, someone agrees with you is Roger Ebert Robert Ebert actually gave this film a positive review specifically praising the production design values oh really uh, so, okay um, so he liked it too yes and I like I, I definitely like all the the look of the house <clears throat> but I mean that greenhouse was amazing that that water pool with the weird statue in it which looked goofy when it grabbed Liam Neeson and dragged him in and started vomiting blood on him. Yeah, uh, that was laugh, that actually. was properly silly. Uh, but the actual um, rooms and, and, and stuff, you know, it was so ornate and lovely. I can see where they spent a lot of the money. Um, it just looks, there was a really 
great um, production. You know what? If someone said to me this won the Oscar for production design, I wouldn't be surprised. It was that good. I thought it was really good. Um, uh, I'm trying to think what else was good. Uh, Bruce, it was good to see Bruce Dern. I didn't think the acting was that bad. I thought the material was just so poor. They really did the best they could. And at least they were trying. Apart from Owen Wilson, uh, they were kind of trying. Owen Wilson was just... He was basically Bill and Ted or something. (laughs) Um, uh, How did you think it compared the the relationship between um, Theo and Nell to the original film? uh, Well, it was more of a... I think... I I have a feeling that, that they watched something like Fatal Attraction and thought, ooh, edgy, you're bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll that get in. Catherine Zeta-Jones, you know, going, oh, I've got a boyfriend and a girlfriend, ooh, and kind of flirting a bit with uh, with uh, Theo and, 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 and stuff like that, saying, you know, um, I'll show you a good time and, you know. Uh, <laughs> Pretty controversial in 99. Uh, it's like, oh, man, this, this, you know, it's not that shocking, guys. You know, it's a bit like that. Um, but um, I have to say, Catherine Zeta-Jones looks bloody beautiful in this. She really does. Uh, there was a couple <laughs> of scenes I really liked. I actually liked the scene on the staircase. Well, no, I liked the first bit, the scene with the staircase, where Liam Neeson went up to try and help her. But it, they overdid it, and it got, like, funny. And then the more it fell apart, the funnier it got. But it was actually started really well. I thought, oh, this is this is quite a good scene. And also, uh, like I've already mentioned, the bit with the cinder pit where the skeleton sat up sort of made me laugh. But, oh, man, those weird angel... There's some great statues as well. Really great statues. Oh, yeah, Bizarre and boring from everywhere. There was, like, no continuous style at all. There was, like, weird things that looked, I don't know sort of persian and uh, yeah uh, there was all sorts of weird and wonderful things but um uh, i i, I like the design stuff really i think the real standout was the design stuff the film didn't bore me at all i i was quite entertained uh but i did laugh quite a lot <laughs> when i was watching it so uh did we miss any goods there becky if you got any uh, any to add to that I don't think so. No, I think that's more or less. Yes. Yeah, I mean, did you? Did it bore you? It didn't bore me, but I've seen this probably five times, if not more. Wow, you're a fan. Well, there's something about it I don't know quite like. Um, It's easy to throw in in the background, but I like the way that it changes certain elements. So, for example, the car, which is such an integral part or character in some way in the first film, Hmm. is right at the beginning of the film, Virginia Madsen as Nell's sister tells her she can have the car and her husband very nicely tells her that they'll deduct that from the sale of the apartment. So she's basically not going to have a home. So it's interesting that we see Nell's predicament before she has to move in with her her sister. I was just going to say, actually, her family are right dicks, aren't they? Yes. They're proper dicks. Uh, this yeah, woman's looked know. after a mother for... F- uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, they should have died. <laughs> <laughs> they should have had no. something... I, I agree. Uh, talking of which, Owen Wilson, the way Owen Wilson goes out is like, 
unbelievable. It's like, wow. It is. And you know what? In a lot of ways, like you say about the good points, but the good, a lot of the good points from this film, I think, are actually in the Wayne Brothers, uh, what is it, Scary Movie 2? Oh, which yeah. takes yeah. a lot from this. Have you seen this? Oh, I'll have to watch that. I'll have to oh, watch Oh, seriously. Oh, funny. The, the way that they take for the scary movie franchise, they take a central film as the main plot and then bring in different bits all the way through. And the second film is this one. And actually, I enjoyed their film much more. OK, uh, there was one other little touch. I'm, I've got a feeling it might have been accidental, actually. I thought, oh, man, that's quite a good bit of filmmaking there. Which is when they first see the massive picture of uh, old evil guy. Um, Ukraine. Uh, yeah. The old evil guy. They see that picture of him. The next, very next shot, we see Eleanor being shown into a room. And if you look in the background, as the door opens, behind her is a face, you know, a statue or a face or bust or something on the wall, which looks like that man's face. So it's almost like he's watching her come in. And I thought that was a really nice touch. You know, that's the sort of thing Hitchcock would do. But Having said that, with the rest of the film, I think that might have just been an accident. <laughs> um, but it's when you watch it again, watch out for it so, you know, to see what I mean. I thought, but I thought I was kind of, oh, maybe this guy's a better filmmaker than you know we're led to believe. I mean, it, I like Speed, but it's not a horror film, is it? You know. Well, that's the thing. He, he, you talk about Robert Wise as an anti-otter and how he can basically fit any type of film and such he, he delivers what he needs to and with Jan de Bon I think that his remit is basically action yeah so it's applying that to this film and it doesn't quite work no, it doesn't work uh, they, they, I mean it's not scary at all is it and no what they try I think the uh, the best they could do emotionally is make you feel sorry for Lily Taylor you know in her story and, oh, I gotta help the children uh, and this huge I didn't quite get it. This Hugo Crane, he kind of, it was, he wanted children, but then he yes, took children somewhere else and tortured them. This was a Did big point. So, like, yeah. he couldn't have children or his wife, you know, had a lot of miscarriages, I think, something along those lines. And then he filled, he wanted to film, fill the home with children. And then they all died very early. It was as though he wanted them to work in his mills. And that was one aspect of it. But maybe the ruse was that he wanted to fill his home with children. I have no idea, but it doesn't really explain it in It was kind of like they watched Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and Indiana <laughs> Jones at the Temple of Doom, dropped some acid or took some mushrooms and then broke the script. It was kind of weird. What? And, the, and the CG ghost thing was just awful. Oh, oh man. And so, also... Uh, when I mentioned about Theo's ESP is a huge part of the novel and I think dealt with very subtly in the original film but here the point where i think theo turns to nell and she's like it's so cold and i'm like oh, and oh like, man i forgot about the cg <laughs> of breath oh, like, oh streams yeah. and it's just like you know just completely insulting the audience's intelligence like it's for like a minute <laughs> it's really goofy oh and then you see the breath stop and the next line is oh it's warmer now <laughs> yep but it was fun. It kind of, I could now draw in comparisons to the remake of House on a Haunted Hill, actually. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because that has similar problems. Though that was much more deliberately fun and knew it what it was kind of thing. Um, this was like taking itself completely seriously and failing quite badly. 
Which kind of made it even better, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, there's a lot of enjoyment to be had from this film just because, like, it's so bad it's good, you know? Yeah. I did have a look at some of the reviews on Letterboxd, and a lot of people were saying, oh, man, this is completely wrecked, the the original and stuff like that. And I said, no, it hasn't. Uh, no, the original uh, when people go on about remakes ruining stuff, um, it's like, it's silly. I can kind of yeah. see sequels ruining stuff, but remakes, nah, nah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't. I have to put the comment about sequels because, you know, Highlander 2. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Don't even go there, please. Virginia uh, Madsen is in this as well, so please. Yeah, Virginia Madsen. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, I hate it when Virginia Madsen's underused. She's been in so many good things as well, you know, like Prophecy and, and Candyman and stuff. Uh, but she yeah, was completely really underused. And every time I see her, I think more and more she reminds me of um, um, Gillian Anderson. Yes. She really yes. does. Um, so, yeah, there is that. Um, so, yeah, okay, let's go to final thoughts on a rating. <laughs> so, Lucard, you go first this time. Oh, all right. I mean, gosh, what more can I say about this? Uh, it, it's a rough watch, but I think if you actually if you if you go into it knowing that it's not gonna be very good, you'll get a lot more enjoyment out of it. I think um, I kind of went into it not really knowing what I was gonna get at all, and I actually watched the '99 version first because I don't know. I, I usually know I'm gonna enjoy the classics more, so I was like, let me go ahead and kind of knock this one off and. Um, you know, also the fact that it was made in 1999 sort of gave me the impression that it probably was not going to be as good as the original. Uh, and you really cannot even compare the two films. I mean, the original is just outstanding, and this is just, uh, it's a bad film, but it's a bad film that's fun. So, um, I am going to probably give it a score of, oh, let's, let's say a four. (laughs) A four, right? <laughs> shall, shall I uh, go? I want. I want you to finish this, Becky. I think so. I'm gonna go next if that's okay. I've put in my letterbox review. The first line is, "You don't care about insomnia." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna let that one go. You know what? I like this one. This is. I think this would be quite good for teens. It's kind of that because it's not scary, but it's kind of fun and goofy. Um, I quite enjoyed it, uh, and the reason I really enjoyed it because I I really thought the house was amazing and quite beautiful and intricate and interesting. The only bit the house was really terrible for me was um, when they had the weird sculpted. CGI baby heads and stuff like that. When it wasn't that, when it was just being a house, I thought it was kind of beautiful. Um, and one bit that I kind of both made me laugh and I was kind of really mesmerized by was the weird hurdy gurdy room. The whole room of weird dancing mirrors. What sort of house has that, right? <laughs> but it was there and it was kind of wonderful. The bits of this made me think of like Batman Forever. Uh, and, you know, Batman and Robin, there was something weird and colourful and strange, but kind of mesmerising about the whole Man, thing. that's a great comparison. You know? It was just odd. <laughs> um, uh, and, and when you get Bruce Dern popping up and then going on again, it's like, wow, what's going on here? Um, also, wasn't the action all about they only had one cell phone? Like cell phones are super rare. I couldn't quite understand what's going on with it. Anyway, um, yeah, you know what? I really enjoyed this. I'm going to give it six out of ten. So, Becky, over to you. This film 
develops, as I've said, the story from the novel even further. And, you know, the, the insomnia <laughs> study, shall we say, is very interesting. Jackie, you don't care about insomnia. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it just, you know, after five plus viewings, <laughs> where grits on you a little bit. But um, I think that it, it's a fun film, like you say, and I think definitely for, say, teens or, you know, young people getting into horror is, is an interesting watch, but the subtext is lost completely. There's a little bit, for example, when Luke is introduced a bit later on, he arrives at the house and the way that he reacts to Theo, we see a little bit of jealousy in Lily Taylor's character um, as Eleanor, but that's it. That's all that's, you know, touched upon. Whereas in the book, you know, she's quite jealous of their relationship as well as uh, Dr. Markway. So it's just everything's lost and that's a bit of a shame. But it does have different aspects that it brings um, to life and the colourful aspect. And like Max said, I think, you know, the 1990s horror, strange kind of atmosphere is very much apparent in the film. And it's, it's a fun one. But I really do think that if you haven't seen Scary Movie 2, give it a watch because it's hilarious the way that it takes this story and just plays on it and also if you haven't listened to we hate movies and their episode on this film you're really missing out because it's brilliant so i think i'd give this a five out of ten okay so it's sort of uh we're, we're, we're middling we're around the middle ground kind of thing the thing yeah. is you say scary too is funny but there's scenes in this that actually feel like they're a parody of a scene already so <laughs> i mean okay. when Oh, they bump into, into each other. <laughs> well, that's, that's parodies like, in, in weird movies, you know, that they, they bump into, and Leonie's is literally just walking down the corridor, and Owen Wilson is like, oh, oh, oh you can't do that. Oh, so he just like, <laughs> absolutely ran into him with a knife or something. It's just like, oh. But also, um, I think in terms of the scary movie, I mean, it, it brings another aspects of the, you know, 1990s, early 2000 horror. Um, and really plays on them well. And it's very, very funny and interesting how it builds and brings all that together, I think, what was happening at the time. So definitely watch that if you haven't already. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I have to, uh, just one note I, I had when when that, they did bump into each other and Owen Wilson started doing it. I actually wrote down, have all the consonants fell off the script at <laughs> point? <laughs> it's like, what is his dialogue i mean when he meets theo and nell and he asks them you know do you have different aspects of i think like sleep you know insomnia de sleep deprivation and nell's like no 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 and what does he say to her something like oh okay like com compulsive like something wow <laughs> it's what where does that come from uh yeah his character's so weird i mean he kind of just plays himself pretty much it's he almost really like does. That character was never there, but they gave some of uh, some of uh, the other three actors went through their script and said, "Look, I'm not saying that rubbish." Uh, so they said, let's <laughs> no just put all the rubbish lines onto a new character and get him to talk those. Well, That's all <laughs> Shanghai <laughs> Newton was popular, so let's get Owen Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> well, with Russ Tamblin, like he doesn't have a huge amount of dialogue, but no. that ties in with his character and his socialite. Like at the beginning, and that's another point from the first film. I believe one of the deleted scenes was his mother. Is it Mrs. Sanderson? His mother, not his grandmother. Um, at the beginning with Doctor Markway. I thought it was the aunt. Oh, sorry, and and she 
allows Dr. Matway to use the premises for his experiments as long as Luke is there to, you know, look after the property yeah. and such. He's and, watching it over it. Yeah. But, we, you know, he's a socialite. He's there really because he has to be, because he's a familial, you know, obligation. And we get that with his character. He's a little bit, not like a teenager and sullen and such, but he's there and he's just like, yeah, whatever, having, having a bit of a laugh and taking it. You know, face value, like the bit with the, the coal spots that you mentioned, Mark, he's very scientific in his approach and uh, logical, I should say. Sorry, not scientific, but we don't get that at all. Like, that's completely lost on Owen Wilson's character. And it's such a shame. Yeah. And honestly, um, uh, Liam Neeson does nothing scientific other than talking to a recorder, right? He doesn't. Which is do when. Anything. We get that dual focus, like he's in the foreground and we can see the background as if something's going to happen. And with the uh, panoramic, um, anamorphic, is it 30 millimeter camera from the first film? Yes, you know, every statue, every doorway, it looked like something would come through it and any shadow, anybody walking past a mirror or whatever added to that tension. But here, that's the only shot that I can remember from the film that's filmed in that way, that uh, very much from Citizen Kane, that dual focus. Yeah. Mm. and yeah. it, it it's as though it's a throwback to that film but they've not used it throughout it's just that one scene of him talking into a recorder which makes mm. no sense so yeah no it doesn't um uh lucard when you get to the tv series you'll see probably how the, the whole thing should have been done in a modern way there's I- definitely I'm glad um, they they're doing it right now because yeah, the you use know, the of the statues one. and the house and all sorts yeah yeah, and the original is such a classic, you know, it, it definitely deserves that treatment that yeah. Netflix is giving it, so uh, mm. I'm glad, and, and excited to watch it, for sure. Okay, well, okay, I'll tell you what, should we, should we sort of wind it out there? We, we, we've we gone through the two films, uh, I enjoy watching both, I mean, I have seen The Haunted, you know, the 63 version a few times, it's been a while since I've seen it last, actually, uh, and I... Um, so uh, it was good to get back to it, but uh, I enjoyed both of these. I'm glad I got around to watching the 1990. I wasn't looking forward to it, I have to say. I thought it was going to be uh, trash, and it kind of was, but I was entertained. I wasn't bored. Yeah. Um, so fun. it was fine. So uh, I think uh, we'll wind out there. So thanks, guys. It's been a real fun to sort of chew the card on these two. Yeah, thanks to you both. Uh, I have missed you both, and I'm glad to be back. Indeed, it's been a long time, so mm. it's been great to talk to you both, and I do have a fond affection for both of these films. So. Yeah. Uh, okay, and until next time on the United Nations of Horror. for listening to the United Nations of Horror. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash UN of Horror and at twitter.com forward slash UNH podcast. We also love feedback and you can leave written or recorded messages at unhpodcast.com. You can access the full backlog of UNH episodes from the website and we're available on all podcast platforms. If you'd like to support the show, please do leave us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with like-minded friends.